Gina Della from Pella. Choose five years no interest and five months no first payment or 10-year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's start off with a good news story. The canine, the Kenosha County um, canine, Riggs, who was shot by a truly despicable human being, is okay. If you haven't followed this story, we we talked a little bit about it when it happened on Thursday. 33-year-old guy, his name is Alan Brown of Countryside, Illinois, shot the dog in the head after the dog tackled him to the ground. Okay, well, why was Brown tackled to the ground? Well, here's the deal. According to Chicago police, um, this entire incident started um, on Thursday when Brown is suspected of shooting and killing a 25-year-old man during an argument at a bus stop in Chicago about 1 a.m. Thursday morning. He ran from the shooting. He carjacked a 41-year-old man, shooting that man in the chest and stealing his vehicle. The second uh, victim died in an area hospital. So in the space of a limited period of time, this man has killed two people in cold, cold blood. By the way, as often happens in these cases, it's not his first time at the radio. He ro- rodeo. He has two prior felony convictions. The most recent in 2009 for aggravated battery to a police officer. So what happens is the suspect in the homicides, in other words, the murderer, he is fleeing. Kenosha police get uh, a notice about this, and the Kenosha police are asked by Chicago police, uh, this is the sheriff's deputies, to go to the Benson's Corner Shell Station in Bristol Thursday morning to search for the guy, because apparently he's driving the vehicle of the man whose car he killed and then in the carjacking. So three deputies arrive at the station. They see the stolen vehicle in the Chicago carjacking thing in the station's lot. They see this character Brown, the guy that's murdered two people. They order him out of his vehicle. According to the sheriff, Brown got out of the car, began running towards Highway 50. They released the dog, canine Riggs, um, who then brought Brown to the ground. At that point in time, Brown pulls out his gun and shoots the dog in the head, at which point in time the Kenosha Sheriff's deputies return fire. They hit him. Brown is hit twice. He will survive. But candidly, what we cared about most when we were talking about this is what about the dog? He shot the dog and... um. The good news is the dog has already been released from the, the veterinary hospital. Dog was a very, very lucky dog. Maybe it's a sense of justice. Apparently that the bullet entered the dog's forehead, skirted through the muscle along his skull, exited through the back of his head. Um, the path of the bullet was visible through the muscle, some bruising, but he escaped serious injury and should recover well. So this is a situation where the would-be murderer who um, he's now in custody. 
he is going to hopefully be brought to justice and won't be back out on the street again. But the good news is the, the dog that was shot while trying to bring the murderer down, the dog is doing fine and um, should be back on the job sometime soon. So that's the good news. Riggs survives because um, when we heard that story originally, it was kind of like, wow, I mean, I just, he shot the dog. And I think most of our sympathies, if it makes me a bad person, I'll, I'll stand by that. Most of my sympathies were with the canine dog, not the murderer who ended up shooting the dog as he tried to flee from the police. Uh, Mike Spalding just mentioned this. Ed Cedar, who was a, a mainstay with the Brewers, it, it's, you know, in baseball, like a lot of professions, you tend to, even if you are able to have a career that lasts a lifetime, whether it's a player, a coach, a scout, or whatever, it tends to baseball. People in baseball tend to bounce around a lot. You know, you might you know you might be a manager or a coach for one team, and you work there for a couple of years, and then something happens, and people get fired, or they move on to better opportunities, or whatever. But it's highly unusual for people like baseball coaches to spend their entire career with one organization. Eddie Cedar, who was the longtime Brewers third base coach, he's been a guest on the program on multiple occasions, our opening day broadcasts, he was a regular fixture, just announcing that he is retiring after 30 years in the Brewers organization. 14 of those were on the Major League coaching staff. This year, he had sort of dialed it back. He wasn't the third base coach, but he was working kind of like as an advisor to the coaching staff, um, which I think was probably a transition towards retirement. He turned 60 this year. But Ed Cedar, just a, a, a great guy, a fun guy, always a great interview, always accessible. But the true story is, I mean, 30 years in one organization in baseball, that, that just doesn't happen. It's kind of like... You know, in, in broadcasting, TV, radio, etc., people just don't spend 20 and 30 years at one particular organization or at one particular station as a general rule. That's just not how it ends up working. But, you know, Ed Cedar was able to be with the Brewers in various capacities for 30 years. Great guy, and we certainly wish him well in retirement. All right, we've got a lot of heavy stuff on today's program, but I want to ease into it with a little bit of a lighter story, as long as we are talking about baseball and Ed Cedar retiring. The World Series is set. It's going to be the Houston Astros versus the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves, of course, the team that knocked out the Brewers in the the first round in the division series. Now, there is an irony out there that Atlanta is in the World Series. Remember earlier this year, the politically correct forces at Major League Baseball decided we cannot have the all-star game in Atlanta because, well, you know, Georgia Georgia has passed a couple laws which we think are going to restrict the rights of, of voters. It, you know, for, forget the fact that the voting laws in New York, where Major League Baseball is centered and where the commissioner of baseball lives, are in many cases much more restrictive than the laws in Georgia. Forget the fact that the voting laws in Delaware, which is where the president is from, they are in many respects more restrictive than the new voting laws in Georgia in some areas. But but Major League Baseball, they, they wanted to, uh, again, we want to worship on the, the throne of wokeness. And so what they did is they, they pulled the All-Star game out of Atlanta. Now, as we talked about at the time, the only thing that this really did is a practical matter. It, it didn't didn't change the fact that the laws in Georgia are the laws in Georgia. All it did was hurt a city that is majority-minority by pulling 
all sorts of, uh, again, revenue from them. I mean, the All-Star Game would have been great. Downtown Atlanta would have helped a lot of the businesses, the hotels, all those type of things. They pulled, Major League Baseball pulled it from Atlanta, sent it out to Colorado, which is an overwhelmingly, to Denver, which is an overwhelmingly white city. So all they did, they accomplished absolutely nothing by making their politically correct statement except to hurt a, a city that, like I say, is a majority-minority city. Good-thinking Major League Baseball. But in the ultimate irony, the Braves are now in the World Series. So that means that all sorts of people and revenue is going to be flocking to Atlanta. So Major League Baseball tried to pretend Atlanta did not exist and make a statement for the All-Star Game. The Braves have kind of one-upped them, and now they're back in the World Series, and uh, nothing Major League Baseball can do about that, and all that money is going to be coming back to Atlanta. So I say good on them. But here's the thing I wanted to start off the program for the week discussing with you. As a general rule... I'm a huge, I'm a, I, I like baseball. I love the Brewers. So I am a huge baseball fan and an even bigger Brewers fan. Once the Brewers are kind of knocked out of the playoffs, I, I, do I watch the World Series? Do I kind of pay attention a little bit? But my rooting interest goes down dramatically. It's kind of like, eh, well, I'll, I'll be curious to see who wins, but it's not like I'm going to be following it pitch by pitch by pitch. I'm just not that way. And my guess is a lot of, a lot of people are that way as well. Just kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see who wins, but I'm not going to just focus on this. You have two teams, all right, far away from Milwaukee. You've got the Houston Astros and you've got the Atlanta Braves. This year, unlike other years, though, I do have a major rooting interest in the World Series. Lots of years, I don't really feel strongly whether it's going to be the Dodgers or the Yankees that win or the White Sox or the Giants. I don't, I really don't care that much one way or the other. This year, I feel very strongly about who I want to see the world win the World Series. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you dialed into this year's World Series? Who do you want to see win and why? And I suspect that there might be a common thread for a number of us. We'll discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you care about this year's World Series? Who do you want to see win and why? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a very, very strong rooting interest in this year's World Series. Something that hasn't occurred in in a long time, because typically by the time the Brewers get eliminated, I, I'm I'm sort of done, and I you know I, I'll pay attention, but I won't really care. This year, I really do care. Houston or Atlanta? Do you have a strong rooting interest? Let's start with uh, Mike in Caledonia. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hi. I have a rooting for the Braves because I'm old enough to remember when they used to be the Milwaukee Braves. So there's some connection between the Brewers and the Braves in my lifetime. And you've forgiven them for leaving Milwaukee. Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, every team seems to move around a little bit. But uh, like I say, I remember when it was the Milwaukee Braves, and then they moved. And then it was, what, the early 70s, later latter 60s, yeah. uh, Brewers came around. Right. Brewers came in. They said so, Brewers were 1970. That's right. Then we got the team from the Seattle Pilots. Braves left in, what was it, 67, 855-616-1620. Okay, he's rooting for the Braves because of the Milwaukee connection. I get that. That's not my reason for rooting here. Mike in Manitowoc. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Yes, I'm rooting for the Braves because I want them to stick it to the commissioner of baseball. And I think the Braves should protest the first game a little bit to make them pay for the money they lost for the All-Star game going to Colorado. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Sort of like the, the wokeness. My guess is when Rob Manfred, if he and I assume he will, when he shows his face in Atlanta for those games, my guess is the crowd is going to boo him pretty mercilessly, I would think. I would think so, too, and I hope so. <laughs> That's it. Thanks. For what, it will be interesting to see if if somehow the Braves were to win. And I know the Braves don't have the home field advantage. So if the Braves were to win, so it'll be two games in Houston, three games in Atlanta, and then two games in, in back in Houston if they need that many. If somehow the Braves are win to it in Atlanta, can you imagine the trophy presentation where you've got the uh, commissioner of baseball in Atlanta, if that were to be the case, presenting that trophy to the Atlanta Braves in front of those fans? I think the Boo Birds would be out, and deservedly so, because this was su- the, the decision to move the All-Star game, in my opinion, was such an abject decide decision to sort of kowtow and bow to the on the altar of political correctness and it is like the ultimate irony you pull a game from a, a city that is majority minority you send it out to an overwhelmingly white city take all that money out of the city of Atlanta and what did you what did you accomplish absolutely not and as i mentioned by the way voting laws in new york and delaware and all sorts of other places are in many respects even more restrictive than they are in georgia the hypocrisy is stunning. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. I agree with all the previous callers to stick it to the commissioner and everything, and uh, Atlanta get some cash back. But I'm rooting for the Braves, even though I'm not watching the games, uh, because they beat the Brewers. So I want the team that beat the Brewers to be the best team mm-hmm. to win. So yeah. since they won, uh, they deserve it. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, there is always that, that, that idea, too, that, you know, you're, the Brewers are in the National League, the, the Braves ended up beating them, and it does, it does probably, I, I mean, the Brewers season doesn't need vindicating, but I, I get, I understand that. Well, I, I am, I am going to be rooting heavily for the Braves, but, and I appreciate all the things. I mean, the, the idea of sticking it to Major League Baseball for, uh, again, messing over Atlanta. Um, on the altar and sacrificing the people of that city on the altar of political correctness to accomplish nothing. I, that's a valid reason. I, I like the connection to, you know, Milwaukee, even though you got to go back 50 years or more, 60 years for that. I get that. Um, I, I understand also Mike's argument about, hey, you know, they beat the Brewers, so that kind of helps validate the Brewers season if you need it. Those are all good things. But the bottom line is, I despise Houston. I mean, and a number of you are texting me about this. I mean, the, the Astros are cheaters. The franchise are cheaters. Now, I understand that there's no evidence that they were cheating this year. But the last time they won the World Series a couple of years ago, the, the schemes and the scams they were running were just so incredibly incredibly blatant this was an organization that could not care less about the rules and the integrity of the game and you know what the problem is they got away with it they just flat got away with it now i understand the manager got suspended and fired and and the general manager ended up being going but this is an organization that from top to bottom has shown that they are willing to cheat and that's there's no other way to describe it they are willing to cheat to accomplish their goals and I, I just, there, there's no way, there is no way in the world 
that I could support an organization like this. The Astros, give them credit. You know, they, they won the American League championship. And when the Astros played in, you know, away games, they were booed mercilessly because I think most fans of baseball realize outside of Houston that this is an organization that tolerated cheating. This is an organization who was able to cheat and get away with it and succeed, which is the most aggravating aspect of this whole thing. And I understand that this is a different year, but you know what? That organization, in my opinion, is going to be forever tainted. I... They're probably the favorite in the series. I acknowledge that. But if the Braves won in four games, nobody would be happier than me because, I don't know, to be a Houston Astros fan is to, I don't know, try to defend the indefensible, which is an organization that has no ethics, no scruples, and is, in simplest terms, a bunch of cheaters. Go Braves! I love that bumper music, Smuggler's Blues by Glenn Fry. A sad story from the, the world of uh, television. I I don't get Friends, the TV show. I, I don't, but, but my wife is a huge follower of Friends, as are many of her friends. So I, I kind of... I've become familiar with Friends by Osmosis, and it seems like it's always on. It doesn't matter what time of day you turn on the TV. They're always showing Friends episodes, and it seems to me that it's always like the same five episodes. I know they made like 220 of them, but I swear, every time I walk into the bedroom or walk into the living room, it's the one where Ross is, you know, getting married in England, or it's it's one of a handful of shows, I and it's like, my God, I just saw this, but I mean, they show them constantly, so those are the odds. In any event, if you haven't heard this story and you're a fan of Friends, James Michael Tyler, who is probably the, the name, probably does not mean a lot to to people, but but he's the guy who created the the character of Gunther. He was the the person that what owned the coffee shop that they all hung out at, and he was in like 150 episodes. He was the one that was in love with the Jennifer Aniston character, and it, it just kind of never went anywhere. He passed away um, at the age of 59, way too soon. Cause was prostate cancer, which was diagnosed in September of 2018. Um, he then became a, a real advocate after he'd been diagnosed with encouraging people to you know get checked out early and things like that. And he was well, you know. Not one of the major, not one of the big six characters. He was an important, you know, uh, player in that ensemble cast, and I know he was beloved by Friends fans all over the world. So he passed away at the age of fifty-nine. James Michael Tyler, rest in peace. Received an email over the weekend from a young woman who has recently been booted out of the Alverno College nursing program. I want to share her story because, again, this puts a real face on these vaccine mandates but also calls into question that this whole thing we've been discussing about when somebody has a, a religious objection to the vaccines, how do you weigh that in? So bear with me. I want to share I want to share it's a good portion of, of the email she said she says okay she gives her name and she identifies herself i'm not going to read her name but at this point in time because i don't think it matters but she says i am a senior nursing student at alverno college in milwaukee wisconsin i have studied at the college for four years and have over one hundred thousand dollars invested in the nursing program i was supposed to graduate in may of 2022 but alverno created their first covid vaccination policy on october 12th 2021 and then 
then sent out a revised policy on August 18, 2021. I've listed both of these policies below. Alverno originally stated to file a religious or medical exemption, which several students did. But I and the other students were told on October 18, 2021, that the Alverno College Nursing Program was no longer allowing religious exemptions, and they were denying all exemptions that were submitted. Since August, I have been emailing and calling Alverno College, which is a religious college, to determine what the religious exemption process was going to be in regard to the COVID-19 vaccine. No one returned my calls or emails. I submitted and emailed my religious exemption to the nursing program and academic affairs with no response. I just reached my mid-semester point at Alverno, and the college kicked me out of my clinical course. That is roughly eight hours of clinical practice per week and two additional hours of skills practice at the Alverno Skills Lab per week. I've been attending my clinical site and on-campus classes since September 7th of 2021 without being vaccinated. With Alverno's new vaccination policy, I was only given the choice to get the J&J vaccine within two days. Otherwise, I would be kicked out of clinical. I asked the director of the undergraduate nursing program for an alternative option besides getting the COVID vaccine, and I was rudely directed back to a copy and pasted form of the Alverno vaccination policy. I have tried to negotiate weekly testing, alternative clinical hours or programs, simulation, etc., and have been rudely declined for all options. The clinical that I was currently in had been taught for two semesters online during the pandemic, in which students were able to be successful in their course without having to physically go to a clinical site. Meanwhile, students in my current clinical are vaccinated and they're allowed to be absent for two weeks when they have COVID exposure when they are vaccinated and still remain successful in the course and can continue to attend the clinical after their two weeks. As I am now kicked out of the clinical practice for the rest of the semester, I will not be able to take my last three nursing classes that I need for next semester in order to graduate in May. Alverno College has also put a hold on my registration for next September, next semester, so I am withheld to register for next semester at the college. I have looked into transferring to other surrounding schools that are offering alternative options for their students, like weekly testing, but Alverno's credits do not transfer to colleges, which would require me to retake all my prerequisites in nursing courses, ultimately making me start completely over with my college career. There are several other Alverno College students that are also struggling with this vaccination policy. All right. Da, 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 da. Um, uh, let's see. She goes on uh, to talk about how much money she has invested, you know, in in this. To add, I had submitted my religious exemption to the document collection platform. Um, however, it was rejected by Alverno. Okay. Um, Alverno College is a very well-known college in the Milwaukee community for their Catholic Franciscan liberal arts. Alverno preaches and advertises that the college is an inclusive, vibrant community of students, faculty, and staff who support and uplift each other. As of today, Alverno College has been religiously discriminating against the unvaccinated students and have exposed our vaccine status to other students. I was told by an academic advisor that Alverno might not be the right college for me because I am unwilling to get the COVID vaccine. Okay, and then she goes on, but you, you get the idea she's been in the nursing program for years um she's told she has to get the vaccine she doesn't and now she's being taught kicked out of her clinicals she says she has a religious exemption as we have discussed before one of the questions i i always have with this and we, we've talked about it candidly is you know, what do you do with a religious exemption 
are because you know that there's people out there that are just uh, abusing that when places have that exemption. You know, there's just people that and, and you put employers in a very, very difficult situation. You say, OK, well, we're going to exempt people from the vaccination requirement if you've got a religious exemption. Well, then then you've got. You've got somebody in the, you know, you've got a general manager or you've got, you know, a manager or somebody in HR is going to determine whether somebody else has a legitimate religious exemption. I mean, what what exactly is, is their training you know, for that? And how do you decide that, you know, somebody's got a le- legitimate religious exemption uh, objection to the vaccine versus somebody else? So I was kind of curious when I got this about what this young woman's what 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 her background was what the you know religious exemption was and was this just kind of a scam which she kind of kind of use this as a way to try to avoid getting vaccinated so she she's attached to her email she's attached the stuff that she submitted and without again going into details she talks about how since she was born she belonged to the Norway Lutheran Evangelical Church and has been a a regular churchgoer since she was born in 2000. And she goes and she talks about, you know, her, her beliefs as a practicing Christian. And, and here's the operative thing. And she's included this in her statement. She says, based on scripture readings of God, I am pro-life. I do not support that abort. I do not support that abor- the abortion of any unborn child under any circumstance or any any weak gestation, um, as I believe the sixth commandment would be directly violated. Several vaccines contains cells, protein, and DNA that is directly taken from aborted babies, which violates my religious beliefs as a regular practicing Christian. I find that this immunization and several other vaccines, as well as the manufacturers, to be significantly immoral and unethical for this reason. In God's eyes, the use of any product that is supposed to make me healthier and created by murdering unborn innocent children, I'm quoting now, would be selfish and unacceptable act. In the Bible, God states, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. She writes, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uses a fetal cell line, which is directly in violation of my beliefs. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines fall under similar circumstances, even they, they even though they do not require a fetal cell line to be produced, manufactured, they needed to use fetal cells to prove the vaccine efficacy. Despite not being a direct derivative of fetal cells, they did at one point use fetal cells in the development and testing of the vaccine, and then you know, she goes out. Says this, so she is articulating why she has a religious exemption uh, objection to be able to um, again taking this particular vaccine. And apparently, uh, Averno College, at least according to her, is saying no. We're, we're not doing religious exemptions, uh, presumably because. We, we don't want to get in the business of trying to determine whose is legitimate and whose isn't. So if you're not vaccinated, boom, you're, you're done. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is she getting a raw deal? Um, she's clearly, unless she gets the vaccine, she's not going to be able to complete you know, her, her nursing study. She's not going to be able to get the clinical work. She's not going to be able to get the degree, which means everything that she's done over the course of the last three plus years kind of goes out the window. She appears to have a, a legitimate religious objection to this. At least she's articulating it in, in a way that 
I, I'm, I'm not saying you have to agree to this, but this is kind of what she believes. So, so here's my question. In circumstances like this, should she be accommodated or should we simply say you're not vaccinated? We don't care about your religious obje- objections, no matter how well founded they may be. Boom. You're gone. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if she does get booted by the, from the program, I mean, th- does the college have an obligation to her? Does the college, for example, have an obligation to return all the money she spent over the last few years? How does something like this work out? 855-616-1620. And this, by the way, highlights, like I've been saying, what I think the problem is with religious exemptions because how, how do you decide who's is legitimate and whose isn't? And here you have somebody who I think clearly has a, at least in her mind, a legitimate religious exemption, exception that is not being recognized. 855-616-1620, we discuss. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Ridgetop Exteriors, specializing in roofing, siding, and windows. Don't miss out on the Ridgetop Advantage and contact Ridgetop Exteriors today. Give them a call at 414-244-9416 or visit them at ridgetopexteriorsmke.com. 855-616-1620. All right, I shared with you the story of the woman who was in the final stages, I mean, one and a half semesters ago before she gets her nursing degree at Alverno, she's now been told that she's going to be out of the program because she has refused to get uh, a vaccination. She's suggested all sorts of other alternatives. They have said, no, is she being treated fairly? And I also I, I shared with you, uh, again, what what she offered as to why she objects to the vaccine, essentially very, very pro-life and objects to the way the the vaccine was manufactured, as opposed to, and I I brought that up because I I know that there's some people out there who, I don't know, go on some website somewhere and say, hey, I've I've suddenly become a member of the church of what's happening now, and, you know, i out in Arizona, and I've got this um, affidavit from my, my new pastor who's only been my pastor for the last like week who says that it's against our religion to you know have the vaccine that that's not it i, I get the sense from reading that that this is a sincerely held conviction 855-616-1620 let's start with linda in mcguanago linda you're first hello hi how are you i'm well thank you what do you think so my daughter-in-law is in the exact same situation with uh, uh, in addition to working at children's hospitals, so she's kind of com- getting it from both ends. She's in clinicals right now. Uh, they have denied her. She has the same feelings as this other woman and has spent, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on school and can't be transferred, the exact same thing. And she's uh, not only are those her beliefs, but she's terrified. She's trying to get pregnant if, mm-hmm. and having a bit of a difficulty and really, there's nothing out there that tells you what happens to babies if you do get the vaccine. Right. So this is a, a young woman who you know wants to have kids and stuff, and she's afraid of that. So what, what is the school telling her? Essentially, your 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 history, and, unless you get the vaccine. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. What do you think should happen? Uh, honestly, I think it's a personal choice. I think. I'm not anti-vax. I got the vaccine. So, you know, I think it's an individual choice. And if you're going to make somebody who is so afraid of this do it, you don't know. You know, you just don't know what's going to you really don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to cause a miscarriage. You you just don't know. Mm hmm. 
Now, the the gal, the, the woman who, who sent me this said, look, that she was willing to do alternative things. She was willing to go, go through weekly testing. She was willing to go back and, yeah. and do this stuff online, like apparently it, it had been for the, the last year. Said, look, you know, she'll, yeah. she's willing to work with the college. I'm willing to do all these different things. And they've pretty much told her, no, sorry, and we're not even going to look at the religious exemptions anymore. Would your daughter be willing to do something like that? She actually, she was uh, deployed last year. So while everybody was doing everything online, she had to take a year off. So when she came back, she had to kind of step in where she was and start going back to school. And um, she actually, she works at Children's, like I said, and she had contacted the school and said, look, I can do my clinicals at Children's. I'm, you know, I'm already working there now. And they just said, no, Hmm. nope. I assume also that it the, the the numbers that this the young lady who emailed me said that they're throwing around. She, she said she's got you know uh, upwards of a hundred grand invested in in her education thus far. I think that was the number that she threw out. But this has been an expensive process, and right now, yeah. unless she gets the vaccination, she, she's out, and that money is just she's gone. Done. Yeah, it's gone. Yes, exactly. It's just gone, and she's you know. She's young. She's very young. She's she's, you know, dreamed about this career her whole life. And because she won't take the vaccine, it could just be gone. Yeah. Um, And so where does it stand with your daughter now? It's just kind of they've said this is it and you're gone unless you get the vaccination. Well, they told her not to come to school. Uh, I believe it was last Monday. There was a deadline and they just told her, you know, don't come. Okay. And I I mean, just doesn't know what to do yeah got it no i i appreciate no th- thanks thanks for sharing linda I, I and this is and again this is see this is the problem with the vaccine mandates in the real world and and like linda i i'm pro-vaccination i got vaccinated okay I'll, I'll get the booster shot when i'm eligible i got the flu shot last week so I, it's not that but there are people out there who have I, I think legitimate concerns, and it's so interesting to me that there's we, we will we will bend over backwards to try to find ways to accommodate all sorts of different people, but in this particular instance, no. And, and now, again, I do think it's interesting if it is in fact true that you have a Catholic institution that is now saying we're not even going to honor deeply held religious exemptions. We're, we're just not going to do it anymore. Well, that kind of makes you wonder about what it is that's going on. I, I don't. It would seem to me that. But there's got to be a way, especially in an academic situation, especially where you're, you're three years into this. And this wasn't a requirement when you started. It seems to me that there's got to be a way to allow people to finish their, their, their education and, and get their degree. And then, of course, look, I understand the other issue is if you're not vaccinated, you know, are you going to find health care places that are going to let you work? But that, that's this, this whole other story. It's saying to somebody who's got 50, 60, 70, 80, 90,000 dollars invested in their education that, you know, one semester before graduation, because we have changed the rules, we're not going to figure out a way to accommodate your, your deeply held and apparently sincere religious beliefs and you're on your own. That strikes me as being wrong. It seems to me there's got to be some accommodation that you can do to allow her in some way, shape, or form, whether it's additional testing or whatever, to finish her education that she's almost there at and then, again, deal with the whole issue of vaccination, trying to get a job somewhere down the line. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So Mike Spaulding, Packers defensive coordinator, tests positive for COVID and yes. he's out. Did you see the, do you know who Matt Nagy is? Oh, I do. Right, the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Yes. You see, he's, same thing. He's, he's tested positive. The Bears are having an epidemic of that. He, so Nagy's tested positive, even though he's vaccinated. So he's, he's out of the picture for a while. Which, did you watch the game yesterday? That might not be a bad thing for I, Matt Nagy. You, you, you want to talk, I, you know, it's amazing to me, and spoken like a Packers fan, but the Bears are a hot mess, and they have been a hot mess for, for years. Now, I understand there's been, you had a year here or there maybe where they've been a little bit less of a hot mess, but in general, they, they are a hot mess. Not only did I watch them yesterday, but I have to confess, I did something, I did something that I never do and I, I've never done before, and I will never do again. Daily fantasy betting? Well, no, I don't do that, but I, I participate. We have There's this thing called Cover 5, which is where mm-hmm. you pick five teams, against, essentially against the spread. You know, that, that's the choice, and you get points. So if, you, if the Packers are predicted to, if the spread it has the Packers winning by three and they win by ten, you would get seven points. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and and it's, you pick five games a week. And it's a running total throughout the year. And so I, I've been doing this for years. I am awful at this this year. For this year, I, I mean, there's 19 people in my league. For the longest time, I was 19. I had a big weekend last weekend, with the exception of what I'm going to talk about. And I, I was up to 16. I just, for some reason, I'm absolutely terrible. I have been on the wrong side of, of like a half dozen blowouts that really... You know, you, you've got a team that's a favorite, and they lose by 35 points, and next thing you know, you're, you're down. I, I've been just absolutely terrible. I never pick. I never pick the Bears because I just, I just don't want to be in a position of rooting for anything good to happen <laughs> to the Bears. That, that's sort of it. So, but so this week, but the, the trick to trying to get back in these games are if you can find like an upset. The Bears were like 14 points underdogs to Tampa Bay. I thought. Okay, maybe they can be competitive, you know, and, and that's even if they only lose by a touchdown or something, that'll be a few points. So I, I had the Bears in my cover. They were one of my five on cover five. And so I started watching the game yesterday after the Packers game I was home. I had it on and it was like 28 to nothing in the middle of the second quarter or something like that. And it was just like same old Bears, same old yeah. Bears. No, it was ugly. I, I have a lot of Bears fan friends um, being from the Chicagoland area. And it was fourteen to nothing, and, and people were already throwing in the towel. You know the team; it's a sad season when it's fourteen zero, and you're just, you know what? All right, well, we'll move on to next week because there's no chance. Right, and it's just, and again, I, I knew Tampa Bay was a mm-hmm. better team, but I'm thinking, okay, Tampa Bay was coming off this big victory and stuff like that, and maybe j- just maybe the Bears could be a little bit more competitive. And you know what? I was wrong because, <laughs> and, and and so, and I, but I was I've been kicking myself since then because. The operative phrase is the Bears still suck, you know, as as from the song from the by the Happy Schnapps combo, and and they do, they're just awful, and just shame on me for not recognizing that. So, so you're not going to bet on the Bears anymore. I'm not going to bet on the Bears anymore. I've learned my I lesson. It, I, it was a hard lesson, but I I did. I you know I I hope Matt Nagy is fine. It doesn't sound like he's too ill other than he's got another one of these breakthrough mm-hmm. cases but i'm thinking you know this is this is just the, the classic bears situation where you have somebody who's actually been vaccinated and gets the the head coach get has been vaccinated and gets the breakthrough case of that
I think, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. It is like going bad to worse. And it's like three franchises in the NFL that can never seem like the Jets are another one that I'm always just like, they can, they just can't. Yeah. If you go there, it's going to go badly for you. I, well, and, and actually, I, I, I did not, I had the other, I had the Jets played the Patriots, I think. I had the sort Patriots, of. and that, well, right, and that, that was, I got points on that side. That was a blowout. Yeah, there's a couple teams, the, the Bears, the, um, the Jets, uh, Jacksonville. You know, you yeah. can always, almost always, Jack, Jacksonville almost never covers the spread. So it, it, you can kind of figure that out as well. But yes, I, I just, the, the Bears, I went on the Bears. I will never do it again. I promise. Yeah, I promise. Yes. Bad watch. Bad, ba- watch. bad watch. Absolutely. Hey, um, speaking of bad stuff, we, we talk a lot about the out of control crime in Milwaukee and, and every, Every weekend, you think, well, maybe it's going to be better. I mean, the weather's getting colder. Maybe things will be under control. A- absolutely not. It's just, you know, it's one story after another. If you haven't been following this, here's the headline from uh, Channel 6. Milwaukee homicides, three dead in seven hours, police say. Acting Milwaukee Police Chief Jeffrey Norman said on Friday, October 22nd, that it was, uh, da, 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 da. okay, the police was called to the scene of three separate homicides in less than seven hours on Saturday morning, October 23rd. Police also responded to a pair of non-fatal shootings Saturday. One of the victims in those shootings is in critical condition. Just after 1.45 a.m., police said a 31-year-old Milwaukee man succumbed to unspecified injuries, died at the scene. That's on 105th and Lancaster, 15th and Feebrance. Police say an unidentified female was shot and pronounced dead at the scene around 3.45 a.m. Officers found the victim while responding to another reported incident. The story goes on. Um, third, at 12th and Feebrance, the third homicide happened shortly before 8.30 a.m. An unidentified man was fatally shot. What led to that shooting is not yet known. Then they talk about all these other different shootings that have people in critical condition, but not dead, at least not dead as of yet. All right. So you, the, the gunplay continues unabated. So then you have, all right, well, maybe maybe we're getting a handle on reckless driving. I mean, maybe the fact that, you know, people run from the police and they cause all these problems, maybe the message is getting out. Well, if you would hope that or think that, the answer is no. Here's the story. 36-year-old Milwaukee man sustained life-threatening injuries early Saturday morning after he fled from a traffic stop and crashed into parked cars near 26th and Legion on the city's south side. It happened around around 4 a.m. According to police, they were dispatched to the area of 24th and Orchard for a shooting incident. Upon arrival, officers observed the suspect vehicle and attempted to conduct a traffic stop. All right, we, we know what happens now. Nobody stops for the police anymore in Milwaukee. The driver fled. A pursuit ensued. Officers lost sight of the vehicle and canceled the pursuit. The suspect vehicle was located shortly afterwards when the driver crashed into three thankfully unoccupied parked vehicles near 26th and Legion. The driver of the vehicle, a 36-year-old Milwaukee man, sustained life-threatening injuries. He was taken to a hospital. The investigation is ongoing. Again, my guess is, too, assuming he survives, which, I mean, I don't know if that's the case or not, but assuming he survives, once you find out who this guy is, it will not be his first time at the rodeo. It will be somebody who probably in all likelihood had a lengthy criminal record who should not have been on the street in the first place, but yet was in the position. Now, in this case, 
unlike so many of the other fleeing from police instances, the the person who fled is the one that seriously screwed himself up. And you don't wish this on anybody, but if somebody's going to run from the cops at a high rate of speed and crash a car, if if it has to ha- if something bad has to happen to somebody, it, at least it's almost poetic judge justice that it happens to the person who is in fact fleeing the police as opposed to what often happens the people who are just in the wrong place at the wrong time when the guy blows through the intersection at 95 miles an hour or the people that are standing on the sidewalk waiting for the bus when the guy loses control of the car at 100 miles an hour so in this case at least it was the person who was fleeing from the police who when he crashed ended up injuring himself but the bottom line is that this is this is just a way of life on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee and there's a lot of lip service about this but nobody really wants to do what needs to be done, which is to start warehousing these people with these lengthy prior records. And then you have, as if as if we did not have enough occupations that are dangerous, here's the latest story. Apparently, um, the, the latest class of people to be robbed are tow truck drivers in the city of Milwaukee. This is the way Channel 12 reports it. Seven. Seven tow truck drivers have been robbed at gunpoint in Milwaukee in just the last three weeks. Drivers lost a total of $8,000 in cash and two handguns. Apparently what happens is a lot of these tow truck drivers, they, they will they will get calls to see if they want to come out and they want to buy like semi-junked cars. So, you know, what happens is, this is the pattern, tow truck driver shows up with cash expecting to buy a scrapped car. Instead, he gets a gun pointed at him. According to a search warrant, seven drivers hit in three weeks, wait for it, across the north side of the city of Milwaukee. So it's now getting to a point where, you know, pretty soon, I suspect when word of this gets out, you're going to have tow truck drivers that simply aren't going to do business in certain areas of the city of Milwaukee because why? We cannot get crime under control. And I don't lay this all on the mayor's doorstep. It's a much broader problem than that. But I do think it's fair to say that the current mayor of Milwaukee, Tom Barrett, has absolutely no clue as to what to do with the epidemic of violent crime. And for that reason, maybe that the sooner... The U.S. Senate confirms his appointment to Luxembourg, and he gets to you know ride off into the sunset, and, and somebody else comes in. Now, I also, believe me, I understand that the grass isn't always greener. And if you look at some of the people that are running for mayor of city of Milwaukee, you go, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this person really wants to be the mayor, the defund the police crowd? Yeah, that's exactly what we need. Not. But it, it's very clear to me that Tom Barrett is out of ideas when it comes to dealing with the situation. Meanwhile, people are dying. People are being robbed. People are being shot on an alarming rate. And somebody needs to do something. And unfortunately, we don't know who that somebody's going to be. Back with more in just a minute. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this and a couple other stories with you because I'm curious about your reaction. Big story in the local newspaper. Feds seized guns and ammo from a veteran's Wisconsin farmhouse but never charged him. Now they want ownership of the arsenal. Okay, so here's what happens. There's there's a guy who um, served in, I believe, the, the Persian Gulf, Gulf War. All right. Um, he's a Gulf War veteran. In 2007... Not related to his military service, um, he became a quadriplegic in what is described as a swimming accident. 
All right, that's in 2007. Now, follow me, follow me on this. He is also, in addition to being a veteran and in addition to being disabled, he is also a, a felon. Um, in 2015, he was convicted of manufacturing or delivering THC, which is marijuana, and fifth offense driving under the influence in 2017, also in Manitowoc County, and also a felony. So he, he's a multiple felon. So you got it? Veteran, quadriplegic due to a swimming accident in 2007, and then based on convictions six years ago and four years ago, he's a felon. All right. Felons are not legally allowed to own firearms. Right. The law is very clear. Felons aren't allowed to own firearms. So here's the deal. In June, uh, federal authorities, agents from the Department of Homeland Security, get a search warrant and search the guy's house. He lives with his daughter and his parents. All right. Now, in the search, they remove like like an arsenal of stuff, 27 guns, 46 magazines, four silencers, and more than 13,000 rounds of ammunition that they take out of his house. Now, as I said earlier, he, he lives, you know, with with his parents, but these are not his parents' guns. His dad apparently says, look, he, he owns guns, but he keeps them on his own side of the house, in his car, and in the barn on his property. Those were not taken. So the, the feds doing the search warrant, they only seize the guns that belong to the disabled veteran who is a felon, right? Because it's against the law for felons to have firearms. So they, they take they take the guns. The... U.S. Attorney's Office, where I used to work in another lifetime, apparently makes the decision not to charge him criminally with being a felon in possession. At least they haven't done that yet. And and my guess is they make that decision because uh, the the guy's disabled. Um, They they look at, and yes, could, could you charge him with 27 counts of felon in possession of a firearm? Yes, you could. But my guess is the U.S. Attorney's Office, the prosecutors, like, what, what's the purpose of bringing criminal charges in a case like this to add another felony to this guy's record? Um, do, do we really want to put him in jail for 5 or 10 or 15 years? Does that accomplish anything? And my guess is they concluded there, there's no... There's no public interest in trying to put the guy in jail under all these circumstances. But what they do do is they start what's called a civil forfeiture action to seize the guns that do not, that he is not allowed to legally own. And that's the lengthy story of, it's in the Journal Sentinel, about how the guy is, is complaining that, you know, they, they've taken the guns that he's not legally allowed to own, and they're in the process of forfeiting, you know, these these guns. Um, and he's objecting to this. He thinks that this is outrageous, that the government would come in and would do it. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, I, I'm... Do, do I see that there's all sorts of cases where you have government overreach and things like that? Well, of course. But in this particular situation, I, I'm on the side of the government. I mean, here you, a matter of fact, I think you can make a strong argument that the, the federal authorities have handled this case with really kid gloves. You have somebody who is not allowed to own firearms. 
right? That the law is very clear. He's got, at the same time, he has, what was the number that we were throwing around here? You know, he has 27 guns in his house that he owns that are in his possession, as well as 46 magazines and four silencers. He's not allowed to own any of that, right? Not allowed to have it. They do the search warrant. They find all these guns. They could have hauled him off in handcuffs and prosecuted and put him in jail. They, I think, make the decision, hey, he's a quadriplegic. We're not going to gain anything. We don't want to put him in jail. But you can't give him his guns back. Can you? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Seems to me that the civil forfeiture proceeding, far from being an outrage, is actually what I think is appropriate under the circumstances. He's not allowed to legally own the guns. So you, you, you forfeit him, you take him away from him, but at the same time, you, you don't put him in prison. I think this is a reasonable accommodation. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Bob in Waukesha. Hi, Bob. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Good. I, you know, I'm a veteran, a Vietnam veteran, and uh, I, I, I think that the governmental agencies that are involved in this are performing their due diligence. This guy sounds to me like, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a crackpot. Uh, I, 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 51 years old, living with his parents. Come on. Well, I, but, I but, but, like he's, but he's got to help. I mean, he's a quadriplegic, so I'm sure he's. I, I mean, I, I don't know about that. He's. I'm sure he's. He's living there, you know, be, helping and stuff. But, but yeah. But the bigger point is, he's not allowed to legally have guns. What What are the authorities supposed to do? You can't give him all these weapons back. He's not allowed to own them. No, no, indeed. And and I'd really like to know what his military record looks like. Uh, and he's a quadriplegic. I, is it a crash? Don't know. Swimming accident. Swimming accident. It says the description I have is swimming accident. Now, thanks for the call. But look, and I, I don't mean to I, I'm not going to beat up on, on the guy. It sounds like he, he's had more than his share of, of bad breaks in, in life. And I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to be in this particular situation. But that doesn't change the dynamic that you're not allowed to legally own guns. He unquestionably had a whole bunch of guns. The point, nowhere in the story does he say, these aren't my guns. He's just upset that the cops came and they seized them all. Well, you're not allowed to legally own him. To me, to me, again, he's lucky, and I understand. If I was the prosecutor in a case like this, just knowing what's reported in the paper, I can understand some assistant U.S. attorney saying, well, yeah, we, yeah, we could charge him with 27 felony counts of possession of guns by a convicted felon, but where is that going to get us? Do, you know, do we really want to put him in prison under these sort of circumstances? Circumstances. Well, no, but but certainly you take the guns, don't you? I mean, you, you, the the idea that he's upset about not getting the guns back. Well, all right, you're not allowed to have them in the first place. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, this is a story that's in the Journal Sentinel, and I. I I am sympathetic with the life circumstances that this man finds himself in, but I'm not sympathetic with his situation. 51-year-old guy, he's a quadriplegic since 2007 because of a swimming accident. He is also, he's a veteran of the Gulf War, which was before that. He is also a multiple felon, been convicted of possession um, of with, with distribution of THC, which is marijuana, and then later on, fifth offense, drunk driving in 2017. If you are a felon, you are not allowed to own firearms. So last June, 
Apparently, somebody dimes him out. The authorities, federal authorities, go out. They do a search warrant at his residence, and they find a, an arsenal. They find 27 guns, 47 magazines, 46 magazines, four silencers, and more than 13 rounds of ammunition. So they, they seize it, and, and it's his. There's, there's no question about it. It's, it's, there's no issue whether these were his guns or not. And now you know he's upset that the U.S. Attorney's Office has apparently decided they're not going to put him in prison for being a felon in possession. They're not going to charge him, but they are moving to forfeit the, the guns, which are, you know, he was not allowed to own. And he's, he's upset ab- about that. I'm sorry. I just I don't see this. I think, in my opinion, at least this has been handled in a completely and totally responsible fashion, quadriplegic or not. There's not an exception to the federal law about people owning firearms after felony convictions. that says if you're disabled, none of this applies. 855-616-1620. And candidly, I think he's lucky that the authorities made the decision not to prosecute him not to get him convicted as a felon, not to potentially put him in jail or prison again, but rather as a penalty, they're just going to take his guns, which seems to me to be a reasonable response. Nick in Waterford, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? I just wanted to say, I think that's the biggest problem that's going on in Milwaukee right now is you're felons, you're not illegally allowed first right. to vote or to own a gun. And those are the first charges that are dropped every single time. Well, well yeah. Guy, if he's if he's crabbing about his guns getting taken away, that's one thing. Okay, he's lucky. Felons aren't allowed to own guns. That's yep. why I didn't. I don't commit felonies. I'm I'm all for the Second Amendment, and I'm all for a person's right to protect themselves. Right, but but right, but the law. No, thanks. But see, I'm with you. The the law is the law. Now, you know, some people are saying, well, if you're a quadriplegic, you know, how 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 can you use the guns? Well, first of all, again, it it doesn't matter. There, you can't you can't own the guns. You can't be in possession of the guns. Now, the story in the Journal Sentinel says that um, they also, when they did the search warrant, they found a December 2020 invoice for parts to install what they call a bite trigger that allows someone to operate a trigger with a mouthpiece. But I, I, I again, I, it, it, it just doesn't matter, at least to me, one way or the other about this. You're, you're not allowed to have, have a gun. And I think, you know, that this is, this is, I think, a reasonable response. Now, I got a, we, we got a ton of texts on this, but I have a provocative text which struck what I found interesting. So, okay, so Jeff, your point is that the public interest isn't there for charging him with a felony and putting him in prison. And yes, that would be my answer. Um, we certainly don't need a convicted drug dealer armed to the teeth being let off scot-free after breaking federal law. I can't understand your justification for this. Well, I, I'll, I'll try to, I, I will try to explain what I see here. I, I agree, by the way, the point our, our last caller w- was making is, you know, one of the things that's frustrating is you have all these crimes that are committed, active crimes that are committed by people who are felons and they're carrying guns, and, and that's one of the first charges that gets dropped, which to me is a very big deal. Felons are not allowed to possess firearms. Still, you have to, at least in my opinion, you have to look at each case on an individual basis. And if I were the prosecutor, I'd be looking at this case and saying, all right, clearly – 
you have somebody who has done something that they are not legally allowed to do, right? How do we try to achieve a, a fair response? Well, yes, we can prosecute him, and yes, we can try to get him sentenced to five years in prison. But at the same time, he's quadriplegic. By putting him in prison, it's going to put a tremendous strain on the federal prison system, which isn't really which isn't really set up to deal with people with severe disabilities. Yet there's ways they do it, but but you say, okay, now what was the crime that he committed? Did he, I mean, did he kill somebody, et cetera? No, he had a bunch of guns, not minimizing that at all. So I'm, I would be sitting there saying, okay, what do we gain by prosecuting him as a felon in possession of and, and sending him to prison for three years or four years or five years without parole? At the same time, I, I appreciate the sentiment that somebody says, well, you can't just let him off scot-free with no accountability. And that, to me, is where the civil forfeiture thing comes in. All right, these guns, the Journal Sentinel says they're worth probably total like nine grand. Well, that, to me, is 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 a penalty. You're not allowed to legally own these particular firearms, so you're going to have them taken away. You're going to lose them in the forfeiture process, and you know at the end of the day, you're you're out the value of 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 these weapons. So that's that's a penalty, different than simply saying, okay, everybody that violates the law needs to go to prison. More people who violate the law do, in fact, need to go to prison. I'm just not sure this is the this is that sort of situation. Bottom line, though, is I, I look at this case and I just I really don't see where, you know, what what the purpose of putting him in prison is. But at the same time, I don't see him as a victim. You know, he wasn't allowed to have the guns. He had the guns. Tracy, who is calling us from California. Hi, Tracy. Hi, how are you? Real well, thank you. Where in California are you calling from? I'm calling from Fallbrook, California. Okay. The um, avocado... Uh, avocado city of uh, California. Okay, so whenever I have my guacamole at my favorite Mexican restaurant, I need to think of you, huh? You need to think, of course you do. <laughs> Got it. What do, you, what do you think about all this, Tracy? What do you do with the guy? He's a quadriplegic. Life has not been no. good to him, but he's got an arsenal of guns. What are they supposed to do? Keep the guns. Confiscate all the guns. Keep the guns, do not return them, and let him live his life at home. Um, understand, but he's got to understand he's a felon, so yeah. he's not allowed to have them. Yeah, it, it seems to me it's kind of cut and dried. And I mean, I don't know what he was doing with all the, the guns, and maybe he was a collector or whatever, but there are consequences that come with becoming a felon. And one of those is you can't own guns. And he should have gotten rid of the exactly. guns a long time ago. I'm with you. Are you from here originally, Tracy? Exactly. You from Milwaukee originally? I am. Okay. I am from Milwaukee. Good enough. Well, we appreciate yeah. you listening to us from the avocado capital of the United States. Appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. That's it. See, we get calls from all over, and now I will think of Tracy every time I'm having my guacamole and stuff, because you can't have guacamole without good avocado. All right. When we come back, well, a lot of stuff. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. This week's sponsor of the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase. And by the way, this is the last week of the showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. But we're back. We will be back. First part of next year. Ridge Top Exterior, specializing in roofing, siding, and windows. Don't miss out on the Ridge Top Advantage. Contact Ridge Top Exteriors today. Give them a call at 414-244-9416 or visit them at ridgetopexteriorsmke.com. During the break, I was listening to um, Jane Matinere, and she was talking to people about the Medicare Advantage plans and Medicare supplements and all. I um, 
this is the time where people are, are making decisions. And here would be my one comment on this. It's, it is incredibly complicated. I mean, you, you can, I, I don't care how smart you are. Um, this is, it's really, really complicated. And if you're at the point where it, it's time for you to register for Medicare, you want to, you really want to understand what your obligations are and, and, you know, what the different ramifications are. And particularly if you're in a situation where you're going to go on Medicare and, and leave private insurance or whatever, you really want to understand the different obligations and the different requirements. And there are all these different programs, just like Jane was talking about, where you've got the, you've got the Medicare Advantage plans. Um, and you've got Medicare supplement plans and both have advantages and disadvantages. And it, which, which one you choose is, is pretty much of an important choice. And a lot of times it's based on individual circumstances and whether your wealth and what you can afford and what you can't afford. But there's all these different facts that are out there. You know, do you, do you travel? All these different types of things. And, you know, what's your individual health situation? But you really, I mean, I think it's important to find, it's a big decision, and it's very important to find, you know, an advisor you trust who can really walk you through the different options and figure out what's best for you. Because, you know, the, the decision, you know, if, if I ever get to a point where I'm going on Medicare, the decision as to what plan, whether it's Medicare Advantage or a supplement or whatever, might work for me, the answer for what might work for me and my individual needs might be completely different than what works for you based on your circumstances. So you really want to find an advisor you trust because it's it's complicated. There's just no question about it. All right. Th- this is the it, it's a horrible story. It's a bizarre story, and of course, it's made more bizarre by the person involved in it. I'm talking about the story about Alec Baldwin. Now, Alec Baldwin is, um, I, I think it is fair to say that in many people, myself included, consider him to be a grade A jerk. But but that's he's also an incredibly talented actor, had lots of success and, and things like that. But he's done, in my opinion, a lot of jerky things over over the years, and he's very very outspoken. And um, which doesn't mean that he's in the wrong with this. It's just that okay, it's interesting that Alec Baldwin is the guy that this ends up happening to. He's he's on a movie set. He's an actor, but he's also a producer. This movie that they're making is sort of a very low budget western. Um, and they're in the desert in, in New Mexico making this Western. It, it sounds like it had been a troubled production from the beginning. Cast and crew had had objections about getting paid on time. There were concerns about safety procedures, all these different things. But anyhow, what happens last week is he's rehearsing a, a scene. He's apparently sitting in the, the church. The movie's going to be called, was, I doubt the movie will ever be finished, but the, the movie was called Rust. He plays a character that's the character last name who's like an aging outlaw or something like that and the way that the story is he he's given a gun and he's practicing like a cross-handed draw or something in in this church and what happens is is he's practicing the cross-handed draw the the gun goes off 
it has a live round of ammunition in it, and it it ends up shooting and killing the cinematographer who's, like, pointing the camera at him, although they're not filming a scene. Bullet goes through her and actually also hits the uh, director who's behind her. So it's this horrible thing. She's dead. Um, There's all this. Now a lot of people are examining the, the whole circumstances behind the production. There will be an enormous number of civil lawsuits that are out there. There's just no question about it. Uh, some people are saying maybe there's going to be criminal charges. I doubt it. I, I, I doubt it. But the underlying issue here that I, I just can't get over and haven't heard a good explanation for is is why why you have live ammunition on on a movie set to begin with. I mean, because I mean, the story is that the the prop master you know, had given him the gun, and it said it, it's a cold gun, which is apparently a term they use in the movie industry to mean that the gun has been checked, and it's it's not capable of firing a live round. Well, in this particular case, the gun was what they call a hot gun. It, it had a loaded round in it. But it, it does, again, raise the, the question I haven't heard a good answer for, like I was saying, is why on why on a movie set would, would there be, why would there be live ammunition anywhere near any of the the handguns or the other firearms that you were going to be giving actors to use to scenes. I guess, you know, maybe I can, you know, if you're if you're doing a World War II movie, for example, and, you know, you want to have, I don't know, film footage of, like, machine guns, you know, firing, you know, real bullets or something, okay, maybe I could see that in that limited sort of thing. But that's not what this was. This was, they apparently have, like, three handguns on, on a tray that's outside this church where they're going to be filming the scene, and, and somehow, some way, there was live ammunition in, in one of these handguns, which makes absolutely, you know, no sense a- at all, and apparently... That that's what the rules are supposed to be, that there's not supposed to be live ammunition on these movie sets that end up being given to the actors. So I, I don't think it's a situation where, you know, Alec Baldwin, I think some people, because they don't like his politics or whatever, are hoping that he ends up getting charged with a crime. I, I don't think that that's likely to happen. It seems like, by all intents and purposes, this is just an incredibly tragic accident. But it's also one of these really, really preventable accidents. And the underlying question that hasn't been answered by any of the information that's out there now is, you know, what? why were there even real bullets in the first place? You know, how is it possible that the gun could have been loaded with real bullets? Why would you need to do that? Somebody screwed up in a big way, and you have somebody that's dead and somebody else that's wounded. Like I say, we'll, we'll in all likelihood, there's going to be inevitably a lots of law, lot of lawsuits. This was a low-budget movie to begin with. My guess is you... That the film will never ultimately be made, and we'll we'll see. There'll be lawsuits and there'll be judgments and things like that. But a completely preventable preventable tragedy that really right now you still have a lot more questions than answers. When we come back, well, lots of stuff, including some very controversial topics for the three o'clock for the two o'clock hour. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. Now, I, I've said this before. I, I've learned over 
25 years plus doing a show full or part-time, that there's, there's some issues I tend to shy away from, not because I don't have opinions on them, but because I don't think they make for necessarily compelling discussions on spoken word radio because – a lot of times we, we can argue about, you know, a better or a worse solution, but there's some issues that the conversation just does not lend itself to that. And I have found that abortion is one of those. People's views on abortion are, are generally speaking kind of locked in stone, and it depends on your personal circumstances and your personal upbringing and maybe your gender. It depends on, you know, um, your, your religious beliefs, all those various factors. And so I, I found in general having a discussion about do you think that people should be allowed to get abortions or not is in general kind of a frustrating sort of thing because we're not going to reach common ground on that. You you believe as a general rule what it is that you believe. Having said that, I think there are things on the edges that are certainly worth a discussion. Now, for example, abortion is back in the news big time because Texas has passed a new law which effectively makes illegal all abortions after six weeks. Now, you might say, well, how can they do that? Because the Supreme Court in 1972 or 1973 came down with Roe versus Wade, which says it's a constitutional right to an abortion, and the government can't restrict it. Well, Texas has developed a workaround where it's not the government that's prohibiting the, the abortions after six weeks. Rather, it gives individuals the, the right to bring causes of actions. Individuals can sue. So they effectively, like individual people, could be the ones bringing the lawsuits, which create the enforcement mechanism. Whether this ultimately passes constitutional muster or not, I don't know. But that's why you, you have abortion advocates very, very up in arms because they think if Texas's law is upheld and other states decide to do this, you will then have several states that have effectively outlawed abortion and, and done an end run around Roe versus Wade. So that, that's the argument that's there. Now, at the same time, you have some people trying to restrict access to abortions. You have other legislatures which are trying to expand them. For example, Illinois. Illinois, you have a Democratic governor. You have an overwhelming Democratic legislature, both their Senate and their Assembly. And what they are trying to do in Illinois, and there's a big story in the Chicago Tribune about this over the weekend, they are trying to expand the right of women to have abortions, in particular the right of minors to have abortions without notifying their parents. Now, follow me on this one. There, there's been a law on the books since 1995 in Illinois, which effectively says that before a minor can have an abortion, there must be parental notification or consent. The law in Illinois requires a parent or adult family member in the same household to be notified at least 48 hours in advance of a minor receiving an abortion. Now, interestingly, parental permission is not required, but you need to have the parents being told about that. Now, you might say to me, well, well Jeff, Wait a second. What about the situations where it's it's incest? What about the situations where you've got this volatile family situation where, you know, the, the, the minors needs to be protected, etc.? Well, for those situations, which would hopefully be rare, there 
there is a provision in the law that lets minors go through what they call a judicial bypass proceeding. And that's a closed-door hearing where pregnant teens appear before judges who will decide whether their parents need to be notified about them wanting an abortion. So there is a workaround if you have that, that 16-year-old girl who has a legitimate—I say a legitimate rejection. I mean, I, I, let, let's take an incest case. You know, she's impregnated by her brother. She's impregnated by her father. Or you have a situation where, you know, there there's abuse or, or whatever, and— the, the, or the parents are just completely punched out or whatever. There are provisions under those circumstances where you can get around the parental notification rule. But the general rule is you don't perform abortions on 15-year-old girls unless the parents are notified of that. Now, I, I don't know about you, and again, I, I'm always reluctant to talk about this because, okay, I'm, I'm a middle-aged male, so this doesn't affect me, but regardless of how you feel about whether or not people should be able to get abortions or people shouldn't be able to get abortions, I, I think most of us would agree that when you have minors who are the responsibility of their parents, as a general rule— it's not unreasonable to say that mom or dad has the right to be notified before the kid decides to take what is this major step. And again, if you're in that situation where there's some reason not to notify mom and dad, all right, again, the incest case comes to mind, there's a workaround. All right, I bring this up because there is a huge push in Illinois right now to do away with that law. A number of the more liberal Democrats are pushing to repeal the parental notification for for minors. And this is kind of their response to, well, we see women's rights to abortions as being challenged by the Texas law and stuff. So we want to go the other way. We want to say, all right, you know, it doesn't matter. 13-year-old girl want an abortion. Fine. You don't have to tell the parents. The doctor doesn't have to tell the parents. Nobody has to notify the parents. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I always try to find and wonder whether there's sort of common ground on a really volatile issue like this. Regardless of how you feel about whether or not women should be able to get abortions, no questions asked, is it unreasonable when you have a minor that at the very least, absent again, like I say, the, the, the incest or absence, some compelling reason, is, is it unreasonable to say that before this procedure can be done, the parents have to be notified? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, if, if, you, had a, if you have a 14-year-old girl, for example, that decides to do this, but I'm embarrassed, I don't want mom and dad to know about it, I can only imagine that when mom and dad, if mom and dad, and when they find out about this, they'd be just absolutely outraged by this. 855-616-1620, I have no problems with parental notification laws, and I think by pushing something like this, people who are abortion rights advocates, I I think they they do themselves a disservice, because I think most people would say, Really? You think 13-year-olds should be able to get abortions without their parents knowing? What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Interesting text. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, in Illinois, the Democratic governor and the Democratic majority are pushing to 
expand, yes, you heard me correctly, expand Illinois' abortion law. Illinois is one of 38 states that has a, a, a parental notification provision. And the way it works in Illinois now is that within 48 hours, at least 48 hours prior to a minor getting an abortion, the parents have to be notified. They don't have to consent, but they have to be notified. There is an exception that says if you can demonstrate that there's a compelling reason to not tell mom and dad, like incest or like abuse or something like that, you, you can avoid it. But but that's only in this case. Well, what's happening in Illinois is they want to do away with it. You, you have the, the liberal Democrats who are saying, we, we don't we don't want a requirement. We don't think that that 13-year-old girl or that 14-year-old girl or that 15-year-old girl, we don't think her parents should be notified. It's her absolute right to have an abortion. How dare we require mom and dad to know? Now, in Wisconsin, for example, you can't get a tattoo until you're 18 unless you have approval from your parents. But the idea is we're going to let we're going to let 13-year-olds make the decision to have abortions and we're not going to tell their parents. I'm sorry, I just think it's appalling. Jeff, here, here's some text. Jeff, we keep complaining that parents need to take responsibility for the children, but we keep giving them less and less opportunity of this. Jeff, absolutely, I would want to know if my child was having this done. She would need mental support to handle that big decision. I'd also like to know who is responsible for the reason the abortion is necessary. It does, in fact, take two. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm a liberal. But that proposal law, proposed law is dumb, especially if the minor child lives with their parents. Yeah. Jeff, I'm a huge Republican. I think that this is one of the most ridiculous thing in the world, not letting the parents know. Um, you know, absolutely. Okay, so then, you know, we get the flip side. So I think most people are with me and all, but here's a text, for example. Jeff, of course it is unreasonable. In other words, um, unreasonable to require parents to be notified. Some parents might say no and force the child to have the baby. We need to protect these children from mentally abusive parents that will disown their children otherwise and shame them. Right? I guess that that's one way of looking at it. I think you can make a very strong argument that a 13 or a 14-year-old girl is not necessarily, as a general rule, emotionally and intellectually capable of making a decision like that on her own, and maybe input from the parents would be a a good thing. So again, but this idea that, okay, well, go ahead, have the abortion at the age of 13, and and then mom and dad aren't going to be able to find out. Well, I don't think in the real world that's very likely as well. Do you need a provision that says, all right, in the cases of where there's going to be a threat to the kid or there's this abusive sort of situation, well, of course, and they have that. But this idea that, you know, any 13-year-old girl can go in and get an abortion without mom or dad knowing, I'm sorry, I find that to be just absolutely appalling. Thank you. Diane and Racine. Hi, Diane. You're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? I think it's crazy. I am a mother of a daughter. And I was the parent that would always know when she needed supplies for that time of month. Uh-huh. And if it's, if she came to, didn't come to me and asked me for supplies, I would know that something was up. Right. And how does a 13-year-old get to a clinic for an abortion? I mean, they don't. Do they call a cab? I don't know. Or or have the boyfriend take them or what? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. But, I mean, you would, 
if you found out that you're, I mean, okay, in Wisconsin, Diane, one of my texters making this point, you can't get your ears pierced, you know, until you're 18 unless mom or dad sign off on it. How crazy is it that you would let mom, or that you could get an abortion at the age of 14 without the parents even knowing? That's just nuts. Absolutely. I mean, if you're a concerned parent and always involved in your child's life, like I was with my daughter, I knew each month right. I had to get her supplies. And if she didn't need them, right. then I would know that something's wrong. Right. And then I would be involved in the decision. A- absolutely. And th- thanks for crying. And just like you're involved, see, this is the thing that's so bizarre to me, just like in, in when Okay, when you've got a minor, now we're not talking about, you know, adults. That That's a whole different sort of story. But when, when you've got somebody who's 13 or 14 or 15 and living at home under mom and dad's roof, mom and dad presumably are going to be involved in all sorts of other decisions with regard to the, the child's health. All right, you know, are you going to are you going to get the vaccine? Are the the COVID vaccine? Are you going to get a flu shot? Are you going to have this done? Are you going to have that done? There's all sorts of things, and and these typically are made in consultation with the doctors, and they're made with the knowledge, you know, of, of mom and dad, who in many cases are going to be the ones, at least in the typical medical things, that are probably going to be the ones that pay for it, right? Because it's going to be through mom or dad's insurance policies or things like that. Again, I. This, to me, is, I guess, one of these issues where, regardless of where you are on the spectrum of of right to life, regardless of where you are, can't reasonable people agree that there need to be some sort of legitimate, if not restrictions, at least requirements? And the Illinois law, like I say, it's not even a restriction. It it doesn't even say that that 13-year-old can't go ahead and get the abortion. It says, though, that before the 13-year-old can go ahead and get the abortion, mom and dad have to at least be given 48 hours notice, so presumably they have an opportunity to maybe go to that 13-year-old girl who's already made a couple bad choices and discuss the ramifications of this with her, and maybe the ultimate decision will be go ahead and get the abortion. And if that's what the girl decides, she still has the legal right to do it, but you can't keep it a secret from mom and dad. At least you can't do that right now, but some people in Illinois want to allow the kids to keep it a secret. I just, I swear I don't get it. One week from today, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is scheduled to start in Kenosha. It is kind of interesting. I was watching some footage, and uh, Kyle Rittenhouse has been dramatically cleaned up. He looks, and, and this is what always happens in trials, he looks a lot different than he looked on, on that night of the shooting, and, um, and and that's the way he's going to be presented in court. Uh, we're waiting for a decision on, on the judge. The judge is going to make a decision as to whether or not the defense can present an expert it has on use of force, and the defense's expert's theory is going to be that this was a reasonable use of force under the, the circumstances. The prosecution is trying to keep that testimony out. I, I don't know how the judge is going to rule. I, I will say this. The the prosecution prosecution in in this case, I I think, has made a number of questionable decisions from the beginning, including allowing this trial to be delayed for over a year. I mean, the Rittenhouse shooting instance, you know, occurred in in August of of last year. I I do think the prosecution has also tried to limit the defense in its presentation of a defense. And and here's the problem. The judge has really helped the prosecution by ruling against them because— Candidly, a lot of things the prosecutors are trying to keep out, in my opinion at least, if the judge sides with them, even if they're able to get a conviction, 
it will be grounds for, I, I don't want to say reversal on appeal, but these will be significant issues on appeal. And as a prosecutor, you've always got to keep that in mind. You've always got to be saying, okay, well, I, I, want, to, I want to win the case. I want to get a conviction. But on the other hand, if I, I've argued stuff that you know, beyond the jury trial, if it goes up on the Court of Appeals, is a Court of Appeals going to look at this and say, no, you violated the defendant's rights by not allowing to present this evidence or insisting that he not be referred to by his first name or, or things like that? And and so far, at least, I think the judge has done a pretty good job of actually saving the prosecutors from themselves by not granting some of their more out there kind of motions that, to me at least, if they're able to get a conviction, and I, I I'm going to be watching the trial just like everybody else is. I, I don't think this is a slam-dunk case one way or the other, and I know some people see it both ways. I think it's going to be a very interesting case, and it's going to depend on how the case is argued and how the case is is presented. And at some point in time, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have an opinion as to what I think the, the disposition should be, but I've kind of been waiting the, the presentation of evidence and things. But some of the stuff the prosecution's been doing, again, the judge— if the judge has been helping him out by saying, no, I, I'm not going to go along with this motion. No, we're not going to do it that way, because candidly, I think the prosecutors, if they had gotten their way, they would be looking at an appeal, a good series of appellate issues, regardless of whether they get the conviction or not. And this whole issue with whether or not the defense can call a use of force expert, that that's another one. I don't know what the judge is going to do, but if the judge says no, he's pretty much guaranteed that there's going to be a significant issue in the event um, that Rittenhouse is convicted once the case goes up on appeal. All right. 20 years ago this weekend— There was a device that came on the market that for many of us was kind of a game changer. Now, I'm embarrassed to admit that I was not necessarily an early adopter. It took me a couple years before I went out and I got one of these things, but it was it was just a game changer once I did. And I was kicking myself saying, gosh, why did I wait so long? So what came out 20 years ago that was a game changer? Well, 20 years ago, this coming weekend, Apple came out with the first iPod, the original iconic iPod device. Now, when I was a kid growing up, back in the day, when I was a kid growing up, if you wanted to listen to music while you were moving around. Well, you, you could have you could have your transistor radio and you could plug the transistor radio in and you'd have the little like like headphones, the little like ear, earbuds that you could stick in your ear and so you could listen to that. You could take your transistor radio with you. But of course, that didn't allow you to choose what music that you wanted to hear. And then then came cassettes and eight tracks and you could have one of those cassette players and you know you could actually have the cassettes with your music and you could put the cassette in it and you could like take you could take you know the cassette ran on like D cell or C cell batteries you could take the cassette player with you and you could actually listen to to music and then of course you had the, the Sony Walkman and the Sony Walkman would allow you to, uh, again, do the same thing. It was smaller. You could take the cassette. You could put the cassette in, and you, you could listen to music. And then, I might be forgetting a couple steps, but then you had the CD player. And this was, 
I'm telling you that this this was the the be all end all. You know, you could you'd have your CDs, and what you would do is you would have that that CD player that you could take, and again, it was pal battery powered and things like that, and you could take it with you, and you could take five or six or seven or however many CDs you could carry, and you could be sitting on the plane or you could be sitting in the car, and you you would have the music. You had that portable CD player. All right, and, and that was all well and good, but you were limited because you had to take the underlying source music with you. You know, you had to—you you couldn't carry— if, like a 200 CDs with you, that that just wasn't practical. So you had to say, okay, I'm, I'm going on this road trip. I want to bring some of my music along, so I'll take a handful of CDs. But you had to pick and choose. And then, then you got the iPod. Um, so the iPod, of course, 20 years ago, oh, as big as, a, I would say, about a pack of cigarettes you know, to give you a frame of reference. And what you could do is you could download your music library on it. And so you then had all the music you wanted at your disposal. And you could carry it around and you could put it in your shirt pocket, you could carry it around in your purse, you could put it in your front pants pocket, whatever. But you could have access to thousands and thousands and thousands of songs if you chose to do that. And I think the iPod really revolutionized those of us, you know, pop culture freaks who just love to be able to take our music with us. Now, you know, over the years, the iPod has kind of become outmoded. Matter of fact, uh, they don't make, there's only one variation of the iPod that they still make, which is the iPod Touch. The iPod Touch, which is uh, essentially, it's like a, it's it's the same thing as a, as a phone with all those capabilities, except it doesn't have the phone capability. But otherwise, I mean, it's essentially you can access the Internet and do all that. That's the only one they make. And uh, the, the thinking is that, you know, they're probably going to discontinue that in the next year or two. But, you know, when this, when this came out, the iPod was just an incredible device that changed the way that many of us listen to music. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, just one segment. Do you remember when you first got your you got your first iPod, and you know your reaction to this? And I can remember that you could just the the, the screen, and you'd, you'd have the little dial, and you could just flip up and down the dial to get what music you wanted. I can remember spending a disproportionate amount of time converting my CDs into the music that then you put on the iPods. To this day, I still have, I have an iPod Touch that I take with me when I'm on airplanes and stuff, and I use that to listen to multiple, you know, record albums, or multiple albums at least, when I'm on various flights. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You remember your first iPod, and can you believe they've been around for 20 years? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The iPod turns 20 this weekend, and I, I just... I think the iPod for many, many people was kind of like this gateway device that that opened. And look, and I understand before that you you could have CDs, you could have cassette tapes, and you could have these portable players. But you, the iPod was this sort of gateway device that really allowed you to have pretty much a limitless amount of content the moment you wanted, j- just at the tap of a button. And of course, I understand the iPod's now been replaced by the, the streaming and things like that. But before there was that, there was the iPod. Craig in Horicon. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff. 
Craig. I got to say, Jeff, the, the, the iPod is the last bit of technology that I actually kept up with. I got mine as a gift, and I don't, I don't know if you remember, but you could get them personalized. And I did get mine as a gift with my name on the, the stainless steel back. Okay. It was just the most awesome gift, and I've got everything from Abbott to ZZ Top right. on there. <laughs> and I, I, the battery is long since given out. I still have the plug-in, mm-hmm. and I have it hooked up to an old 80s stereo, and I still listen to my 6,500 songs I have on there. When it dies, I may go along with it, sir. <laughs> well, thanks for calling. Well, see, that yeah, it, it's funny, because a few years ago, I, I had the same thing. I had, I had a, an iPod from a long time ago, and the, the battery kind of died, and there's really no way to replace it on these things. So I, I bought, a couple of years ago, I purchased an iPod Touch, and I was able to transfer my entire music library onto to that. And then, but but nowadays, I don't think I can do that again. But I, so I've got the iPod Touch, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't think mine starts at ABBA, but it definitely you know, goes through you know Warren Zevon and, and ZZ Top and things like that. 